the book of Luke chapter number 24. Luke chapter 24. While you're finding that opening, I want to mention to you, uh, if you have not gotten yet a copy of our book, Tongues, Speaking from the Spiritual Dimension, we have been teaching for a number of weeks now on the topic, Why Pentecost? Attempting to answer that question from the Word of God. And, of course, we're going slowly and covering, uh, uncovering a lot of different things from the Word. And this is a book the Lord led me to write a few years ago, and I believe that it will bless you. I believe that it will inform you and inspire you and help you. So it's free of charge out there at the welcome desk across, actually from there on the shelf. You can just pick one up. Don't have to ask or anything. And if you know someone that you would like to give one to or send, to, send one to someone, then please take advantage of that as well. We have plenty of them. Praise the Lord. Amen. Well, let's pray before we get into the Word today. Father, we are so thankful and so grateful for the holy written Word of God. We're so thankful this morning, Lord, that you have always been there for us. We've never lived a moment that you haven't been watching for us and watching over us. And so, Father, today we ask that as we gather on this glorious day of celebration, that your anointing would come into this place for us to hear a word from the Lord, that we would not only enjoy the celebration and not only enjoy the singing and the praise, but, Lord, that we would actually hear revelation truth today that will produce faith in our lives and change us. And for this, we give you praise, honor, and glory in Jesus' name. And everybody said, Amen. Amen, amen, amen. So our series on why Pentecost has continued right on up to the celebration of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And so this passage we're getting ready to read from today is a wonderful passage, words of Jesus that help us to uh, tie those two things together, the resurrection and the power of Pentecost. So let's read, beginning with Luke chapter 24, verse 44. It says, Then he said to them, These are the words which I spoke to you while I was still with you, that all things must be fulfilled which were written in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms concerning me. And he opened their understanding that they might comprehend the Scriptures. Then he said to them, Thus it is written, and thus it was necessary for the Christ to suffer and to rise from the dead the third day. And that repentance and remission of sins should be preached in his name to all nations, beginning at Jerusalem. And you are witnesses of these things. Behold, I send the promise of my Father upon you. But tarry in the city of Jerusalem until you are endued or clothed with power from on high. There would be no New Testament Pentecost without the resurrection. And there would be no resurrection without the Holy Spirit, who is the person of the Godhead that Pentecost focuses on. Romans 8.11 says that it's the same Spirit that raised Jesus from the dead that gives life to these mortal bodies we are living in right now. And so the resurrected Lord, Jesus Christ, manifests His power and His glory, and He works His will in the lives of His people through the ministry 
of both the Word of God that we have and the indwelling and the infilling of the Holy Spirit. I've been on both sides of the fence. I've been on the side where we were skittish, is that a good word, of Pentecostal people. As I've said many times, I used to be afraid to be, of being around people like you. You made too much noise, you, you, uh, you moved around a little too much, and all of that. It was, uh, it was a learning curve for me. But I remember when I was baptized in the Holy Spirit and began to speak with other tongues, I remember that night, and I have never been the same. Never, ever been the same. And so I want you to understand today that when we talk about Pentecost, we're talking about something that actually enriches the experience of knowing Jesus. We're talking about an experience that actually helps you come to greater depths of insight, revelation, and manifested blessing that Jesus makes available to his people. There was no early New Testament Christianity. I'm talking about, you know, the book of Acts. Approximately 30 years or so, the book of Acts spans in history from Pentecost onward. And there was no such thing in those days as a church that wasn't a spirit-filled church. The entire New Testament was written by people who spoke in tongues to people that they knew would be speaking in tongues. When they talked about the things of the Spirit and the gifts of the Spirit and the manifestations of God, they weren't talking about things that they just wished and hoped maybe might could happen. They were talking about realities that they were acquainted with. They were talking about power that could change things. They were talking about manifestations of miracles and signs and wonders. And of course, all of that is accomplished through the manifestations and through the power and the person of the Holy Spirit. Now, the resurrection of Jesus, which we celebrate today, was the greatest display of power that has ever been known because the issue of sin and the fall of man was the greatest challenge ever known. That's why this great demonstration of power was necessary. The Holy Spirit would not have had any effort to speak of to raise a perfect sinless Christ from the dead. But what you have to understand is that through the, the power and the legality of substitution that God established, Jesus as our sacrifice, Jesus as God's Lamb, came and identified with us and became our substitute. He became what we were so we could be what He is. And so raising Jesus from the dead was not a matter of simply raising a sinless person from the dead, which Jesus was the first person to fill that role, but it was actually raising Jesus from the dead as he became sin with our sins, sick with our sicknesses, cursed with our curses, and it was raising you and me on that day. You got to understand one of the reasons we celebrate and we get so carried away about this is because it wasn't just Jesus that came out of the grave, but in the mind and the purpose of God, you came out of the grave. I came out of the grave. And you and I walk free from the bondages of sin and death forevermore. And now we live in Christ. 
His victory became our victory. His life, our life. His blessing, our blessing. His acceptance, our acceptance. His place seated at the Father's right hand is our place. Hallelujah. And we are now seated with Him in the heavenly realms. We pray from that realm. We praise from that realm. We study from that realm. We live from that realm. We are world overcomers through the Lord Jesus Christ. Hallelujah. I'm glad today that it's not just dead religion. I'm glad today that it's a reality of living for God. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. The resurrection of Jesus was the greatest display of power ever known because overcoming our sin and its effects was the greatest challenge ever known. I'd like to ask you to turn over in your Bible to the book of Romans chapter 4 and we'll look at verse number 25. Concerning Jesus, Paul is writing and says, Who was delivered up, that's Jesus, was delivered up because of our offenses and was raised because or when we were justified. Raised because of our justification. In other words, when you and I were acquitted, that's what justification means. In the New Testament, it's, it's a synonym Justified, acquitted. Two words meaning the same thing. Or found not guilty. So you've got to think about this. When Jesus died, when he became sin with our sins and cursed with our curses, when he died and he descended into the lower parts of the earth, and all of that three days and three nights of torment and agony and suffering and conquest that would come, we don't know all that that entailed. We can't comprehend or fathom all that that would really mean. But what we do know from a scripture like this is that when the claims of justice that were upon you, the claims of justice that were upon me, when they were fully and completely satisfied and you and I were found not guilty, that's when Jesus was raised from the dead. And so the resurrection of Jesus is many wonderful things, but among them is this fact that it signifies I've been justified. It signifies I've been acquitted. It signifies that I stand before the Heavenly Father. I come boldly before the throne of grace and I'm not guilty of one thing. I have no guilt, I have no shame, and there is no sin upon me. It's all been laid upon Jesus, and praise God, I can now come boldly to find grace to help in the time of need. I can come boldly before my Father God and fellowship with Him and commune with Him. Because when Jesus was raised, that meant the price for my justification had been paid. So the resurrection of Jesus is not optional for all of this to work. It is essential. And the resurrection of Jesus gives credence to our faith and it gives credence to our confidence in all the provisions and all the promises of the New Testament. You see, that's why we're very bold. That's why I would boldly lay hands on Mariah this morning because I'm not a healer. But I know the one who is. I know that we, she and I, we have a contract. We have a covenant with Almighty God. 
And there is no reason that that which we pray for that's in line with his contract, in line with the provisions of the will, there's no reason for that not to come to pass. We expect it, and thank God he brings his word to pass. So you see, without the bodily resurrection of Jesus Christ, our faith is in vain. Our testimony is powerless. Think about this with me. Jesus either is who he said he was, or he is the biggest fraud who ever walked the earth. Jesus is either who he says he is, or he's the biggest liar who's ever lived on the planet. You can't be a good man and be a liar. You can't bring a perfect system of behavior and be a liar. Jesus is not a liar. Amen. So there is no middle ground. There is no compromise. There is no position in the middle. You either believe that Jesus is who he said he was, or you don't believe it. And if you do believe it, then you can be a Christian. Because you see, you cannot be a New Testament Christian without believing in the supernatural resurrection of Jesus Christ. And think about this with me. If you believe in the supernatural resurrection of Jesus Christ, then how could it be a problem to believe any other miracle of the Scripture? Or how would it be a problem to believe in the fulfillment of God's Word coming to pass in your life? Because the greatest, most difficult, most powerful thing that could ever be done to redeem you has already been done. And guess what? It worked. It worked! Jesus is still alive. And because he lives, we live also. Hallelujah. So, biblical Christianity, the Christianity that is portrayed in the New Testament, is not possible without the miraculous. It is not possible without the supernatural. You know, there are a lot of people who just have a problem with believing God for the supernatural. They don't seem to have a problem some of them anyway, have no problem believing that the miracles of the Bible are true. They believe that Jesus is actually coming back, literally, in the clouds, and that, that believers are going to be caught up in the air to be with the Lord. They believe that heaven is real. They believe that when a loved one passes away that knows Jesus, that they are absent from the body and now present with the Lord. They believe in all of these wonderful things. They look at the descriptions of heaven and we sing about them. Poems are written about it and people look forward to it. But isn't it amazing how many people have an issue with believing God for the supernatural and the miraculous right now? You see, one of the things that Pentecost does where the resurrection is concerned, it connects resurrection power with the Holy Ghost living inside of you. So we're not here today just to talk about history. We're not here today just to talk about what happened, as wonderful as that is, and it's certainly worth talking about. But we're here today to talk about the here and the now because the same Spirit that raised Jesus from the dead is the same Spirit that fell at Pentecost in all of His fullness and is the same Spirit that is indwelling us right now and is still gifting believers and still blessing people and healing the sick and even raising the dead and setting the captives free. I'm talking about a right now God. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. The Pentecostal experience of being clothed with power from on high 
is not unusual to the New Testament picture or the New Testament narrative. It would have been unusual in those early days to see people trying to live and do the Great Commission and live their Christian testimony without the Spirit's fullness. You would have been the odd one out uh, in those first years of, of the church age if you weren't Spirit-filled, talking in tongues, believing in miracles, getting your prayers answered. How in the world did the church get to the place to where today we see so little manifestations of the power of God? Where did the glory go that we have to have fake glory clouds, smoke machines <laughs> that, that look like something that have no substance to them? I'm telling you there is a real glory. There is a real power. There is a real presence of God that can become so great in an atmosphere, in a place where God's people gather that people can't stand, that sicknesses fall off people, that, that deliverances come and their addictions are broken and the power of God manifests upon them and the glory of God overcomes them and they surrender fully to God. That's what we're hungry for. That's what we're believing for. Amen. The Pentecostal experience of being baptized in the Holy Ghost and speaking with other tongues, along with all the other gifts and ministries of the Holy Spirit found in Scripture, are available today. Like I said before, I've been on both sides. I've been on the side where people thought, well, that's not necessary. And you have heard people who go even further than that and say, well, you know, I'm not sure that's even of God. Some people will tell you, well, you better watch about that group that speaks in tongues and expects divine healing and those kind of things because, you know, you could get, a, you could get fooled by the devil or you could get some kind of evil spirit. Some people even make those kinds of statements that that's of the devil. And isn't it amazing to, to think about this, that if something like speaking in tongues, for instance, if it really were of the devil, you would think that the prisons would be full of tongue talkers. You'd think that every bar and nightclub and dive last night where people were out looking for, uh, you know, illicit sex and trying to get high on drugs and, and alcohol and all that mess, you'd think that they'd be speaking in tongues every other sip. But you know, that's not going on. I'm talking about a reality of God that will absolutely set you on fire. Amen. I'm talking about the glory of God that will change you into such a degree that like Saul of old in the Old Testament, you'll be considered another man, another person. You'll just step outside yourself, hallelujah, and begin to do some things that you wouldn't normally do and act in ways you wouldn't normally act, and it releases the power of God into your life and into your situation. It's so much easier to receive those things that we're needing and wanting when we yield to the Holy Spirit. Some people may be just a dance away from their healing and getting free from all that stiffness and all that bondage. Some people may be just a shout away from being freed from addiction. Some people may be just, you know, just, just one uh, yielding to the Holy Spirit and just let the rivers of living water flow in other tongues from forever changing and transforming your prayer life into a miracle life. You can't have both the world and God. You, you can't have all of your dignity and have the fullness of the Spirit too. The Apostle Paul learned that lesson, you know, when he wrote to the Corinthians. And, and it's interesting, the Corinthian church, of all the churches that Paul 
uh, wrote to, they were probably the most charismatic. They were probably most gung-ho about the move and the things of the Spirit, to the point that actually he had to correct some of their abuses. And, you know, a lot of people, they're afraid of abuses, you know. Uh, they, they don't want to get out of order. They don't want to get over into all of that. But, you know, I've said this before. It wasn't original with me. But I would rather have uh, the move of the Spirit of God and a little wildfire than to have the order of a graveyard and the same atmosphere. There really isn't much middle ground. Because what happens is when you start going further and further and deeper and deeper in the things of the Spirit, you get to a place where then you have to make a decision to keep on stepping and keep on going. And it's a real problem when people just get so far and they won't go any further. You know, I would liken it to this as an example. You know, they'll do this, but they won't do that. They'll do this. Praise the Lord. But they won't do this. Praise the Lord. They'll do this. But they won't do this. You know what I mean? They just get so far. And what happens is as you move, genuinely moved in those directions, you get those are little breakthroughs. For some people, this is a breakthrough. But once you get that breakthrough, guess what? There's another one. Hallelujah! Some of you need a fresh breakthrough. You need the power of God in a greater measure than you've ever experienced. And it may be that the problems of life that we have may just be waiting on a greater measure of God's power in order to get over that hump. Amen. Something to think about. And so... When we come to this realm of miracles and we come to this realm of supernatural living, we need to understand that it's a choice to walk in it. God's not going to force you to do this. A miracle, I want to talk a little bit about this before we close today. A miracle is a divine intervention into the natural earth realm. That's what a miracle is. It is a breakthrough of God into this fallen realm. That's what a miracle is. It's a divine intervention or a divine breakthrough into this natural fallen world to produce change, to produce change that God would want. Now, before the fall, just think for a moment. We're not going to go back and do a two-hour study here, so don't get, don't get nervous. But before the fall, mankind lived supernaturally natural. He lived supernaturally natural. He was in the realm of the supernatural, but he wasn't necessarily conscious of trying or straining. It's just the way he lived. It was his nature. Every day God came down and talked with him. Every day he got a visitor, and it was God. I mean, just think about the miraculous nature of that kind of life. There was no need for miracles before the fall. Everything was perfect. Man lived in harmony with God he pursued God's assignment for him to rule and reign here on the earth. Man was blessed, and he was living a blessed life in a blessed environment. Everything worked. There were no leaky faucets. There were no flat tires. There, there, everything worked. There was nothing missing, and nothing was broken. You know, that's what... The Hebrew word shalom, that's one of the aspects of that word. Nothing missing and nothing broken. Well, the fall, of course, changed every bit of that. 
The fall changed man, and it also changed the earth realm. The curse that was upon the devil came upon man and the earth. Man had authority. Man had responsibility. God had given it to him. God, in his sovereignty, had given man this power of choice. He'd given to man this authority and responsibility. And man, with his eyes wide open, Paul wrote to Timothy, he sold out and committed high treason. And man, of course, was born again in reverse. He went from spiritual life to spiritual death. For the first time, Adam understood fear. For the first time, fear gripped his heart. For the first time, he began to have a sense of finiteness, a sense of impending death at some point. He experienced, he tasted spiritual death, which of course began to work in the natural realm as well. It affected man and it affected the earth. Man's nature was now fallen, unrighteous, and ungodly. And every child that would ever be born on the planet as a descendant of Adam would find themselves fallen, unrighteous, and cursed, ungodly. So both mankind and the earth reflected the fallen spiritual condition. As a matter of fact, 2 Corinthians 4 and 4 says that Satan is the god of this world. It's a little g. He's not deity, obviously. But he is, he is the Lord or the ruler of this, this present-day world. That's why it's all messed up. And that's why it's going to take Jesus coming back to establish a new kingdom before it's going to fully be fixed. I mean, it's okay to recycle. It's okay to plant trees. It's okay to be a good steward. We, we ought to be. But you're never going to fix the earth. Jesus will take care of that. Amen. Amen. He will take care of it. The earth that we live in today, the world we're in today, is a fallen world. And so what we found ourselves as, as humankind being is trapped with no way to deliver ourselves. Let's go to Ephesians chapter 2. You're in Romans uh, 4. Let's go to Ephesians chapter 2. And I want to read to you Paul's description of our condition in Christ. I mean, I'm sorry, our condition before we were in Christ. <clears throat> in verse 11, he says, Therefore remember that you once Gentiles in the flesh who were called uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision made in the flesh by hands, that at that time, this is talking about before Christ, before we were saved. This is the fallen condition. That at that time you were without Christ, being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers from the covenants of promise, having no hope. Notice, it doesn't just say having a little bit. Occasional hope. Partial hope. No, he says, having no hope and without God in the world. That's the condition we were in. That's where we were. No hope, no God, no covenant. But I'm so glad that the story doesn't end there. Aren't you? Look at the next verse, verse 13. But now. Everybody say, but now. You see, we've just read about what we used to be, where we used to be, how it used to be. But now, in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off 
have been brought near by the blood of Christ. Hallelujah. You see, God had a plan, and his name is Jesus. That's God's plan. God's plan was a person, Jesus. And so, as we read in Romans 4.25, when Jesus had completed this wonderful plan of redemption and consummated all of it, and to the point that he was now in the captivity of death in our place, when you and I were justified, when the price was totally paid for our justification, he needed no justification, obviously, but when the price for us was paid, then Jesus got up. He was raised. And that being accomplished means that every provision you read about in your New Testament is true. Think about Philippians 4.19, but my God shall supply all your need according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. Think about John, uh, uh, 1 John 4.4, 4, greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. Think about all those glorious in him, in Christ, in whom, scriptures, those kinds of prepositional phrases that are found throughout the New Testament where descriptions are being made of who we are, what we have, and what we can do in Christ. All of that's true because Jesus got up from the grave. You see, it's either all true or none of it's true. Christianity, the New Testament, the New Covenant, the power of the Holy Spirit, either it's real or we might say just in slang terms, or it ain't. There's no middle ground. As a matter of fact, there's a powerful scripture in Romans, the 8th chapter. I know we're turning to a number of passages, but this is too good to pass by. In Romans chapter 8 and verse number 32, it says, well, let's start with verse 31. That's a good one too. Romans 8, 31 and then 32. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? Hallelujah. He who did not spare his own son, but delivered him up for us all, how shall he not with him also freely give us all things? So the point is, if we believe that God has already given us the gift of his son, that he already accomplished the work of redemption, that God raised him from the dead, if we believe that's all true and it's all been done, then according to this scripture, there is no blessing, no thing that you would ever need or desire that's godly and right that would be hard or too hard for God to give to you. Not a thing. So don't worry about asking too big. Don't worry about asking for too much. Don't worry about bothering God. No, I'll tell you what would bother God would be for him to go to all that trouble and you ignore it. That's what bothers God. Some of you are going to have a nice Easter dinner today. Some of you have worked hard to put some good things together. And you're probably expecting some people that are going to sit down at the table and eat with you and enjoy the works of your labor. What would you think if you went to all of that trouble? Maybe some of you started some stuff yesterday. You went to all of that trouble for this celebration. And folks just looked, up, looked at it, turned up their nose and said, I'm not even interested. Do we have any potato chips anywhere? Well, can you imagine that God would send Jesus to the earth 
that he would suffer and bleed and die and stand in our place, become a curse for us, become sick with our sicknesses, become, become poor with our poverty, that he would take our place as outcast and shamed before the Father and be forsaken by the Father all because of us, that he would spread this marvelous table that you read about in the New Testament and all those blessings and promises and provisions of that covenant, and then you and I, would you think it would be good if we turn our nose up to that? It's an odd thing that in the 20, uh, 21st century church world in America that we actually have to take the time as preachers and teachers and pastors today to try to talk God's people into believing God for all of the wonderful things that He's promised. God forbid that we're ever ungrateful unbelievers. But let it be said that we will take everything God offers, not because we're greedy, not because we're scroungers, but because we love God enough to say, yes, I want to be all that you want me to be. I want to have all you want me to have. I want to walk in the light that you bring into my life. So in the name of Jesus, I'll take it. I'll take my healing. I'll take my deliverance. I'll take my long life. I'll take my prosperity. I'll take the power of God in my life. I'll take the Word of God to me. I am a receiver. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Luke 12, 32, Jesus said, It's the Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. So since he puts it in those kind of terms, it's the Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom, we could say this way, it's God's pleasure to bless you royally. It's God's pleasure to bless you royally. Can you imagine the wealth and the splendor of God? And he's living inside of you right now. This entire planet was created for God's kids. Psalm 115 verse 16 says, The earth has he given to the sons of men. God didn't create this world because he needed somewhere to go to get away from it all. God didn't create this planet because he was thinking, Well, we may run out of stuff in heaven. We'll have to go over there and you know, get this from the earth and pick that up like going to a grocery store or a food bank. No, no, it was all done for you. It was all done for us. And he freely gives us. Yes, the devil stepped in. Yes, Adam listened. Yes, it was a big mess. But thank God Jesus came. Thank God he came and redeemed us. And so today we celebrate the greatest demonstration of God's miracle working power ever, ever known. So anything you need today, Anything that you desire is not too hard for him. I want to remind you of a phrase we use often in teaching along these lines, but it's so true. Faith plus power equals miracles. I believe in miracles. I believe in divine healing. I believe that the God of the Bible is still God today. I don't believe the calendar has altered or changed him and his abilities in the least. Jesus Christ, the same, Hebrews 13, 8, yesterday and today and forever. And please pardon me, but because I believe these things, I get excited. Because I believe these things... I've got something to shout about. I've got something to rejoice about. 
And there's something about that rejoicing that God loves. So today, I want to encourage you to reach out with your faith and take hold of whatever you need from God. Whatever it is. Maybe you're here today and you're not even, you're not even in a right position with God. Maybe you're not born again. Or maybe you're what we call a backslider, somebody that's known the Lord but you've walked away and you're not living for God. You don't have a prayer life that works. Uh, You're not faithful to the things that he is concerned about. You have your thing. You do your thing. You're busy with your thing. You don't have time for God's thing. And you're not really concerned about what's dear to his heart. And maybe you think you know more than God. You've figured out what's really needful and necessary. And so parts of the Bible you ignore. Parts of the Bible you don't even think about because that's not suitable for you. Well, I'm telling you, today's a day for surrender. If Jesus would die for you, would you live for him? If he is willing to lay his life down for you, are you willing to lay down your life in living service, worship, and allegiance to him? Every head bowed and eye closed for just a moment. You might be here this morning and you say, that's me, Pastor. I need Jesus. If you want to be right with God today, you want your life changed, and you don't want to be the same, then I'm going to ask you to please just get up from your seat and come down the front here. We're not going to embarrass you. We're not going to ask you to give us a play-by-play of all the things in your life that's not good. Just asking you to come and say, I want to recommit. I want to rededicate. I want to get to the place where I need to be. Or I want to commit to God to begin with. Maybe you've never been saved. Please don't be concerned about coming and and people being here. Jesus said it like this. If you're ashamed to confess me before men, I'll be ashamed to confess you before my Father. That's pretty serious stuff. And I can tell you this for sure. There's not a believer in this house that's going to make fun of you or think less of you for committing your life to Christ. We're going to think the best of you. We're going to rejoice with you. Amen. All right. Thank you, church, for praying. Those, of course, at home, you may... Just call on the Lord right where you are. He'll save you. He'll cleanse you. Confess Jesus as your Lord. Believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead. Confess him as Lord with your mouth and you'll be saved. Let us know about it, please. We'd like to hear about it. Rejoice with you. Maybe you're here today and you say, I have a need in my body for healing. You know, that's a wonderful testimony that Mariah gave us this morning. That that thing was just just immediately it began to get better and then it just got better and stayed better so today's a great day to receive healing and I invite you to come we'll lay hands on you right now it won't take long